that was one of the the joys of a lifetime was being able to meet Vince Scully and then have him be not only as nice as you would expect him to be, but nicer. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, oh, Dave and Andy, come on in. I was hoping you'd stop by and, uh, you know, spending some time with Vin. And then at the end of it, uh, congratulating him on doing, uh, I think it was 67 years or something like that of Major League Baseball. And I told him that uh, I was doing the math the night before that if uh, I did this for 67 years, I'd be 116 my last year of doing uh, baseball. And all he did was look at me and go, well, Dave, we're all living a little longer nowadays. And, uh, you know, so that was quite the ending to that. Hello, and welcome to episode 57 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. You just heard the voice of the Tampa Bay Rays, Dave Wills, in an interview with Sean Clancy, founder of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame. As I'm sure you've heard, Dave passed away earlier this month. To pay tribute to Mr. Wills, we wanted to take this opportunity to play Sean's last interview with Dave in its entirety on today's episode of the podcast. I have never mentioned this before on the show, but I worked for the Rays for three years. In the entire time, I never heard anything but praise for Wills. Everybody in the area loved him. Right now, I'm turning things over to Sean Clancy. I'm Sean Clancy, president of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame, and I'm delighted this morning to be joined by a member of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame and voice of the Tampa Rays, Dave Wills. Dave, thank you for joining us for a couple of minutes here this morning. We uh, delighted to have you. Great to be here. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, yeah, good morning. Uh, and, and good morning. I'm not uh, really accustomed to doing uh, too many things in the morning, but uh, great to be here, and... Uh, Happy to happy to help out here for a while. Well, well, Dave, I have to tell you the reason why I want to have you on is many fold. But uh, the, the what I wanted to talk to you about came about when I was uh, when I was delighted to be a, a guest at your St. Patrick's Day party a couple of years ago at your house. Now I thought I had heard every single Irish or Irish-American song until that day when you were blaring something that I guess is from the south side of Chicago, and I'd never heard it. Yeah, you know, and I, I knew there was something I was supposed to do this morning. I was going to pull up the lyrics to uh, the South Side Irish. Uh, we used to hear it all the time uh, for the South Side Irish Parade, which was uh, on Western Avenue. It still is. Matter of fact, I think it's coming up uh, uh, the weekend before. It's usually the, the Sunday before St. Patrick's Day, so it'll be coming up uh, this uh Sunday, I think, what is it, March 12th or 13th or whatever, But um, which is also a pretty good day. But, yeah, Terry and Whitey would sing it all the time. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the Southside Irish from Bridgeport to Beverly and from, uh, you know, up north to South Shore. And there's two teams that the uh, people on the south side of Chicago root for. It's the Go-Go White Sox and whoever beats the Cubs. So, uh, you know, it's one of my – it has it, it was an anthem for a long, long time uh, there for me in the south side of Chicago. Uh, Matter of fact, when I was doing pregame and postgame shows uh, for the Chicago White Sox, I used to call it the uh, uh, Southside Trifecta. When the White Sox would win, the Cubs would lose. And at the time, the Twins were uh, holding on to the top spot a lot of times in the American League uh, Central. And if they would lose, it, it, unfortunately for the White Sox up until 2005, it didn't happen often enough. But, uh, um, you know, again, that, that was a song that uh, was kind of a Southside anthem for a long, long time. Yeah, so so let's let's talk a little bit. What was it like growing up in the South Side? Oh, it was awesome. Uh, you know, again, uh, a lot of people wonder how you become. You know, you, you just because you're on the South Side of Chicago, 
you become a White Sox fan, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, my first ever game was a Cub game. Uh, rode the train with my mom and my younger brother, Bill, downtown to meet my dad, who was working for IBM at the time. And uh, we uh, met him at the IBM office. And, and then we took the other another train from downtown Chicago up to Wrigley Field. And, uh, you know, again, it was neat to go see a big league baseball game. I think it was a Cubs-Cardinals game. We had incredible seats, but it was uh, a midsummer's. Uh, July afternoon at Wrigley Field, and all I remember, and I wasn't quite as portly uh, back then. I was actually a skinny kid, uh, but it was still smoking hot. I remember, uh, you know, just kind of going through my dad's uh, uh, handkerchief that day, trying to stay cool. And uh, I think I don't even know if we made it through the entire game, which was blasphemy. But uh, uh, then a few weeks later, went with my my mom's uh, brothers, with my dad and my younger brother, and we went to a White Sox game at night. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world to be playing baseball under the lights. And uh, so I kind of fell in love with that White Sox team uh, back in the early seventies, Bill Melton won in the home run uh, championship back in 1971. And uh, the, you know, my first glove was a Billy Williams glove though, another former Chicago Cub. And then the, the, the broadcast that got me started in the, in the minor leagues was me doing a game from the catwalks of Wrigley field. So I've got a lot of Cub in me, but uh, I grew up a White Sox fan on the South side of Chicago. Hung out with a lot of, uh, you know, again, being a an Irish Catholic uh, family, we were one of five, but we were one of the small, I was the oldest of five kids, but we were one of the smaller families. Uh, you know, we had the Cahills who had eight, the Heinzes who had eight kids. We had, I think the Cahills might've had 11, as a matter of fact. Uh, the Heinzes had eight, the Hayses had eight. Uh, you know, so you, you hung out with uh, the McNallys and the McNicholases, and uh, there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of Irish on the south side of Chicago uh, growing up and playing baseball, and uh, you look at the rosters of uh, a lot of those teams uh, back in the day, and I played for the Cobras and then the Dusters in Little League, and uh, you saw a lot of uh, Irish last names uh, on the south side of Chicago, in Oakland specifically, where I grew up. Now, so was it? So basically, there was a strong sense of, of being Irish. I mean, it wasn't, you weren't just Irish in March. It was, you know, like... How, now, how far back do we have to go before we find people that talk like me in the in your in your? Not not far at all. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, I, I can totally understand you. Which uh, you know, again, took a little while. Sometimes I'd be like, "Excuse me, what?" But um, we have the Murtaws and uh, a few other ones that, that would come into TC Pub, and uh, when I was bartending there way back in the day, and they had their flat top hat on, and uh, that that's a South Side of Chicago staple uh, on days uh, during the winter months uh, where. Uh, that's the hat they put on, not the big knit uh, skull cap that you see uh, people putting on nowadays. It was the flat top uh, uh, hat that uh, is is so prevalent in in the city of Chicago, and especially on the South Side. But uh, there was a guy, Jim Murtaugh, who uh, loved the man to death. One of the nicest guys I, I ever met. Going back to my bartending days, treated me not like a bartender, like some people have a tendency to do when they uh, think that you're just slinging beers and pouring drinks, but. Uh, this guy was the nicest man in the world. He'd leave nice tips for the kids when we'd be raising money for Park Lawn, uh, trying to do some nice things for them. And yet to this day, I don't know if I've ever understood a word that he ever said. Uh, I just knew that, uh, you know, what beer he wanted uh, and uh, what uh, what he liked and would nod my head and do a lot of yes like this. But uh, there was there's a lot of guys with the old Irish brogue on the south side. Uh, and, you know, again, growing up in Oklahoma, St. Germain uh, Parish, uh, St. Gerald, St. Linus, St. Catherine. Uh, you know, that, that's that's the neighborhood you were from. Uh, when you mentioned you were from somewhere on the south side of Chicago, you know, they didn't need to ask you what was the intersection or what town. 
Uh, they asked you what parish, and uh, you know that's that's how they kind of filled in specifically uh, where you were growing up in the city of Chicago, especially, but also even on the south side, the uh, south suburbs. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a you know it, some people take uh, exception to south suburbanites like myself. I was born in the city of Chicago, but raised in Oak Lawn. Uh, they they don't consider us to be south side. We're south suburbs. But, uh, you know, again, I, I had a blast growing up. And like I said, too, uh, a lot of it was filled with uh, a lot of guys like me who uh, uh, I had a lot lighter here. Maybe it's starting to get a little bit lighter as you can see some of the uh, the salt and pepper kicking in. But uh, it was a blonder uh, mix. And there, there was a lot of guys with blonde hair, freckles, red hair, freckles, uh, playing a lot of baseball in, in the, on the south uh, suburbs and the south side of Chicago for sure. Oh, that's pretty cool. So we got that squared away. So let's talk a little bit about how that, you know, looking blondie, freckled kid, uh, the journey that has taken you now to be, you know, one of the finest, if not the finest, uh, baseball play by play guys in, in baseball. Yeah. You know, so, so you, you know, you, well, you're, you're, you know, I mean, it, 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 it really it goes back to the fact that I just wasn't good enough to play. Um, you know, I wanted to be a, actually, I went to college and, I was just going to small school, Elmhurst College, to uh, be a student. I was a very mediocre high school student, uh, more than mediocre high school basketball player, maybe a little bit better of a baseball player, but didn't play my senior year. So I uh, went to Elmhurst College just to be a student. And next thing you know, about a week into school, they said that uh, they only had about 11 or 12 guys out uh, for the basketball team, needed a few more warm bodies. Um, I went to a couple of uh, you know early uh, fall practices, uh, and uh, ultimately ended up making the team, scored my one point on December 20th. So at least I wasn't shut out of my uh, uh, freshman year. On my uh, bio in the media guide, it said he's a year away. I think if they were still writing that bio right now, they'd probably say he's still a year away. But, uh, you know, had, had you know just played the, the one year of basketball, and the next thing you know, uh, baseball kind of came a call, and they found out I was left-handed. They had graduated about three or four pitchers the year before. Uh, gave it a shot, and uh, it worked out really, really well. I ended up pitching uh, a lot uh, the last three years I was at Elmhurst College. I had a pitching coach by the name of Mike Young, who uh, grew up in on the north side of Chicago, went to school in Wisconsin, and then started traveling in Europe and uh, in, in Australia as a baseball player, kind of a nomad. Just went from town, you know, country to country to keep on playing baseball. Ultimately landed down in Australia and ended up being the Australian uh, – uh, national team head coach uh, for their Olympic team back in 2000, I think, and uh, one of the other years after that. And uh, when I was uh, the head baseball coach at the University of Chicago in 1990, I called him up to be a reference on my resume, and uh, he said no. Um, and I said, well, why not? And he said, uh, I want you to get out of coaching. I want you to get back into broadcasting. And I had kind of taken a detour from broadcasting after graduating from college, I did it for a number of years at a company called Sports Phone, the old 9761313 number. Kind of got bored with that and uh, I went off and, and did a couple things in PR and did a few other things. And the next thing you know, I ended up back coaching at my alma mater, Elmhurst College. Then the University of Chicago called. I coached that team for 1990 and had a blast doing it. Uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, uh, you know, we, we played teams like Notre Dame, St. Joseph's in Indiana. Um, you know, up and down and went down to Florida, played teams like Johns Hopkins, uh, Case Western Reserve, some really, really good schools, Brandeis, and, uh, and and had a blast doing it. And I thought I wanted to coach. And he said, no, get back into broadcasting. I sent him a, a tape of me doing that game at Wrigley Field. Uh, 
And uh, a few weeks later, the owner of the soon-to-be Kane County Cougars uh, called me up and said, I'd like to meet with you. And I met with him at his office, and he said, well, I, if it was up to me, I'd make you the play-by-play guy right now. But we're going to hire our general manager, and then I'm going to let him make the decision. So our general manager, Bill Larson, gets hired. This is in late November. And then in early December, I think I went out to Kane County for three different interviews while I was bartending and working till 4 o'clock in the morning. And I think I finally showed up to the last one about four hours late because I was up till 4 o'clock in the morning the night before. But uh, he still hired me. I'm not sure to this day he's ever listened to my uh, tape because uh, I've heard stories that he would go into the booth next to me and talk with our official scorer, Marty Cusack, um, another fine Irish lad, and uh, would, would just listen and, and say, who's this guy on, on the radio right here? You listen to the Cubs or the White Sox? And he'd say, well, I'm listening to our guy. This is the Cougars guy. So uh, uh, did that for five years, parts of five years. And then the White Sox came calling and uh, – I was fortunate enough that the radio station that I was on at Kane County could reach almost 3 million people. Um, wow. And while I was uh, with the Cougars, I applied for a couple of big league jobs. And I had a few people tell me, you know, yeah, you got to go from A ball to double A to triple A. And I, I didn't quite understand that because I, I didn't understand why I would have to leave Kane County radio, which was re- reaching two to three million people to go to say Mobile, Alabama and get on a radio station that reaches 25,000. Uh, and that's going to make me a better broadcaster because I'm calling better baseball, maybe. Uh, so fortunately, the White Sox gave me a shot. And then uh, in 2004, uh, I heard rumors that the uh, uh, the the Tampa Bay Devil Rays were looking for a radio guy. And um, I actually sat on that for about a week. Um, I didn't do it. Uh, wasn't ready to do it because I, I just moved into a, a new home uh, in, in further south of Chicago in Orland Park. And was really kind of comfortable with what I was doing. I was doing uh, White Sox pregame, postgame, and some play-by-play. I was doing UIC Flames basketball play-by-play. Uh, I was hosting a show with the Notre Dame athletic director, Kevin White, uh, doing some pregame football and basketball for Notre Dame, and then doing a TV show in Chicago. So I was really doing like five or six jobs, but it was paying all the bills and then some. And so I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not sure. The Devil Rays aren't very good. Uh, I haven't heard great things about the team. And Lo and behold, I just thought to myself, you know what? It's one of 30 jobs in the world, so I better give it a shot. I sent the tape in. Uh, there's a mutual friend of ours, Rick Vaughn, who I understand on that particular day had just been in with a group of people who dwindled the pool of almost 300 applicants down to 10. And uh, somebody walked in and said, hey, I've got a, you know, envelope here with your name on it. And Rick, out of the kindness of his heart, decided to play the CD, and I became number 11 of the final 10, and then... Uh, the rest is history. Ended up working up with, uh, hooking up with Andy Freed. And uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, you, you mentioned me earlier, but uh, I, I honestly believe that when you get Andy and I together, uh, I do tend to believe that there might not be that many better broadcasts out there. Oh, I no, really, really, really I mean, it's been proven. I mean, they've been voted the number one in, in baseball, you know. I mean, well, you know, again, and, and that's, that's all nice and dandy, but I love working with Andy and uh, it, it's been a blast ever since. I'm glad I did it. Okay, and now listen, and I, I'm going to preface this by saying I love Andy as well, you know, And but I have a question for you. If, if Is there anybody, living or dead, that you could do one game with, who would it be? Oof. Now, I'm going wow. to make this easy. I'm going to take John Sterling out of the equation for you. Anybody other than John? <laughs> uh, that, that would really enjoy. I, you know what? Wow, that, that would be one. I wish you would have told me this about two days ago. I could have really worked uh, through this. I mean, you know, 
listening back as a kid, I, you know, growing up in Chicago, loved Harry Carey. Um, I, you know, I did actually several innings with Jimmy Pearsall, um, which back in my Kane County Cougar days, which were absolutely outstanding, entertaining. I had my finger on the cough button the entire time, ready to dump him, uh, just in case he said something he wasn't supposed to say. But uh, that was a blast. Uh, you know, I, I, I would say Harry Carey probably, but at the same time then, I've heard some documentaries that Harry wasn't at times maybe the easiest guy to work with and would love to all have all the big moments. And I love having all the big moments. So uh, I think that the guy that I thought would be maybe kind of really, really interesting maybe would be Tony Kubek. Um, I think Tony's a guy that, you know, from a color commentary standpoint, uh, Tony's a guy that uh, was probably one of the best in the business, if not the best in the business for a long, long time there. And uh, I think he left the game really, really early. Um, I think he would have been a blast to do a game with just to continue to learn about the game. I mean, you, you never really should stop learning about the game. I, I love talking to baseball people. It's one of my favorite things to do when I go to Foley's is to talk to different baseball people, especially umpires, learn some of the nuances of what they're doing and how they're doing it and uh, different ways that they call a game. So I think Tony would have been on the list. Obviously, Vin Scully, uh, you know, I, but, you know, Vin, I, I wouldn't want to ruin his booth. I mean, you know, I don't want to be in there and ruin what Vin Scully's doing, but that was one of the, the joys of a lifetime was being able to meet Vince Scully and then have him be not only as nice as you would expect him to be, but nicer. Yeah. I mean, you know, Oh, Dave and Andy, come on in. I was hoping you'd stop by and, uh, you know, spending some time with Vin. And then at the end of it, uh, congratulating him on doing, uh, I think it was 67 years or something like that of major league baseball. And I told him that uh, I was doing the math the night before that if uh, I did this for 67 years, I'd be 116 my last year of doing uh, baseball. And all he did was look at me and go, well, Dave, we're all living a little longer nowadays. And, uh, you know, so that was quite the ending to that. But, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's going to be a name that's going to pop up. And then the next time you and I get together, we'll have a nice conversation about it. But, uh, you know, I mean, how can you pass up guys like, you know, Lou Gehrig or, you know, down the line, uh, maybe having a couple beers with Babe Ruth or. I was going to, that was what I was going to bring up. I was going to say if, we had a table in the corner at Foley's and you have five people to pick with, but seeing as the last guy that they asked to do that brought up Hitler and uh, somebody else, I thought, nah, maybe we won't go quite quite that far. But it's well, he's not on my list. I'll just you, me you mentioned, you mentioned, you're like, you know, meeting Vince Scully. So I brought my father with me uh, to go out to present him with his plaque for the one he was inducted at the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame. And he's actually um, a second cousin of my father's. And uh, so, I mean, I, I was just like, you know, in awe. And he was the same thing. He's like, Sean, I've been dying to meet you. He said, and is this your father, John? And he's like, John, I want to talk to you about Bally Connell. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is Vince Scully. I want to talk about baseball. Mm -hmm. And my father's like, I remember when, when your father was leaving Bally Connell and, and me and my, my brother, we had to cat, catch the chickens. And I was like, I never thought I would be having a conversation <laughs> about catching chickens with Vince Scully. But he made it sound more interesting than anybody else in the oh, world. I mean, we do. Yeah, I mean, it's. I I I used to when whenever there would be um, an evening where I knew I wouldn't be seeing someone like yourself later at night, and I would always time um, leaving Foley's uh, so that I would get the first three innings that he would do on the radio on his own. And uh, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and I think it's you know, and and that says a lot about you know, appointment radio when it comes to baseball. And I just got a tweet. Uh, I was just talking about a Casey Kasem note that I heard last night while I was 
chilling out and uh, we know we're supposed to be reporting to spring training here today but uh, uh you know you had a couple fans come in and say we i just miss hearing your voice and uh you know and that's just it i mean we are the soundtrack of the summer uh like i've stolen andy's line here for the last uh, 10 12 years and we just try to be good company and uh, there was no better company than vin scully as you said uh, you know being able to uh you know put vin on the radio and drive home from foley's uh, was about as uh, comfortable as some uh, old comfy shoes or yeah. sandals or whatever the case may be. So that's what we just try to do, and uh, he was the best of the best. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, you know there's uh, to me there's nothing better than slapping on a set of headphones and whether it's take fully for walk whatever and just you know spend time with you guys. I mean you know people when you think about it you know you're 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 we're with you for you know, 162 days of the year. I mean, and it's for four hours. So, I mean, it's, it's. Yeah. There, there's a great poster in the, uh, in, in the Minnesota twins uh, press box. And I don't know if you've been up to the new ballparks press box, but it's uh, yeah. all about Herb Carneal. And it says he was with you when you walked a dog, he was with you when you mowed the lawn, he was with you when you changed the oil, he was there when you changed out the storm windows, when you raked the leaves in the fall. Uh, and, and that's just it. That's, we are, we're, we're with you. We don't necessarily have to be locked into a conversation. I think that's the beauty of baseball, especially on radio, is that uh, you don't have to be. There are guys who are tuned in and, and like really locked in every word you say. But uh, I think a lot of people just have us on in the background. And when they start to hear myself or Andy start to get a little bit excited, then they kind of stop maybe what they're doing to hear what the what's going to happen in the game or what is happening in the game. But that is the beauty of baseball and the radio is that uh, – you know, you don't have to listen to every single word and stay locked in. We just try to be good company with you when you're doing whatever you may be doing. And in your case, a lot of times, I know over these last uh, year and a half or two, uh, walking fully in some of the most beautiful landscape in the uh, state of Florida around there, uh, around Honeymoon Island. And and there are time, many, many times where uh, I know you'll shoot me a text and say, hey, we're listening right now as we're crossing over the bridge or we're on the beach. And uh, it's, uh, it's a nice way to... Nice way to spend a, a night in the state of Florida, that's for sure. Oh, what I thought, and the, the same token that you just said that, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll turn on the, the, when you're playing a day game, I'll turn on the car um, after finishing work or what have you, and without getting the score, I can tell by the tone, it's like, oh boy, it's not going well. <laughs> and he's not happy. Yeah, you know, and, and we, I, I, do wear, I do wear my emotions on the sleeve. I've had a few people, um, you know, uh, say that, that that's you know not the the greatest way, but honestly, uh, I'm a Rays fan first and foremost. Uh, I just happen to have a microphone in front of me while I do it, and uh, you know I, I'm I'm I don't want to get so far as to say that you know I'm the happiest guy in the world when the Rays win and, and the saddest guy. But uh, I don't know if there are too many people that take wins and enjoy them more than I do. In the same way with some tough losses, uh, but I, I go back to our days when Joe Madden uh, was our manager, and I think Joe taught me. A lot about the, the the game of professional and major league baseball is that it's a daily thing, and if you lit, get too high and get too low, it's going to really really beat you up. So celebrate the wins for thirty minutes, and I know you know that uh, there have been a few times where I've stopped by Foley's after games where I probably celebrated a little more than thirty minutes after a game. But also, uh, you know, if you lose a tough game, uh, you know, wallow in self pity maybe for a little while for about thirty minutes, and then move on. And that's what I've really. Uh, tried to do and i think uh it's a lot better for your health that way too yeah i mean it's 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 you know I, for me i know exactly what you're saying but for me i mean um i remember com- going to visit you guys in the trap 
back in some of those early years when you you go in a, you go in a game in September and you know you guys might be ten or twelve games out and you know <laughs> and the, you know the Notre Dame game may or may not have been on the monitor as opposed to the Rays game you know Maybe. and then mm-hmm. for for me that that first year that you guys made the playoffs was that 08? Oh wait. Oh wait. I mean the excitement when you guys um, you know I mean when you came in that third time. Um, and it looked like you guys were going to. I mean, it was just, it was, it was just, it was, it was one of the coolest feelings. It was, I felt like I was part of it. Like I was living this, uh, uh, living this experience with you guys, having been through all of those years where, you know, there were some bright spots and there were some good games and there were some fun things to talk about. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you know, I, I, uh, I was lucky enough to be at game one of that World Series, um, and then I had to fly to Ireland. Um, and I learned a lot about um, roaming charges during that World Series because I listened, <laughs> uh, or I was watching, and I couldn't listen to you guys like you do now, but I was watching the game on my phone, and I come back and I've got a $700 phone bill. I was like, mm. Mm. Should have told Stu that when you saw him at Foley's a few years ago. Stu, would you mind paying this? So, Dave, listen, this has been an absolute pleasure. And I appreciate you taking some well, time and, you know, the giving. What we try to do is we try to give the members of the society, you know, a little insight into not just the baseball part of it, but just, like, you know, like the, the Irish side of it and the personal side of it. Um, so hopefully very soon um, we will be back to hearing you on the radio. Um, well, I, you know, again, you talk about my my Irish heritage. I mean, and the thing that I remember about growing up on the south side of Chicago about, you know, again, almost everybody, but especially the Irish, is that uh, one of my mottos has always been, uh, you know, anybody can work hard, anybody can play hard. But it, it's tough to do both. And I think uh, growing up around the south side of Chicago, I saw a lot of people uh, work really, really hard, but then I saw them play really, really hard. And a lot of those uh, were the, you know, the O'Grady's and the O'Keefe's and, and like I said, the, the Heinz's and the Hayes's and, and then even the Wills's. So, uh, and, and like you, like I was telling you too, when we went on the air, uh, uh, still have a very, very special spot in my heart uh, for everything you've done for me, uh, for my family, for our, for our team and for the baseball community. And obviously for the, uh, the Irish community as well. There's my, my Foley's uh, menu. That's uh, right on my wall in my office here that, uh, I see when I walk in this office every day, and I see when I walk out and uh, uh, miss the turkey burgers, miss the cold Bud Lights, miss a couple of Tito's here and there, but more, mostly and more importantly, miss the people. Uh, I really, really miss the people that uh, I bounced into all the time when I'd go into that place. It was a must-go uh, uh, situation, and uh, we went to New York one time last year because of the, the pandemic and didn't go until the end of the year. And it was the most awkward trip I've had there since uh, 2005. Uh, I just, I didn't know what to do, where to go, who to see. And, um, um, and I just, again, thank you for having me. That was Sean Clancy, founder of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame with late Tampa Bay Rays broadcaster Dave Wills. He was truly one of the best in the business. I'm Rick Becker, and this has been episode 57 of the Irish Baseball Podcast.